so grateful for our community. I really am. So amazing. And, and we gather, you know, even today, we've gathered around the Bible, around the Word of God, because the Word of God is the truth. And I just want to invite you as we start today, and we're in Judges, and we're at the end of Judges, and it can seem long and a little bit puzzling in these stories, is to actually hear and let the Word, the message, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, work in you. Because what's happening in our story today goes underneath many of the decisions and how we think of them, and should I go outside or stay inside? Should I do this or do that? And it goes underneath and into your heart this morning to give you and me hope. We need hope in these days, but there's all kinds of false hope out there. This is the real stuff, the Word of God. What we get to see today is something called dramatic irony, and if you've never heard of that, let me introduce you to the concept. So it's like if you're watching a movie, happens all the time in the movies, and our story is like an ancient movie today. Well, where, where you, the audience watching the movie, watches the serial killer break into someone's apartment up on the third floor, and it's nighttime, and you see the young woman who lives there come home with her date, and you're going, no. Don't go into the room. Don't go into your apartment. And they get out of the cab they're in, and, 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 and the young man says, Hey, would you like to go over and get a drink together or sit down and talk? And she's like, No, I'm kind of tired. I think I'll go up to my apartment. No! And, 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 and then she goes, and, and, and as she walks up and, and goes in there, Should I walk you up? He says, and she says, No, no, I'll be fine. No! She walks up, and she's trying to get in, and her key won't fit. And, and she's like, ah, oh, I forgot my key. Oh. And then she goes around and breaks a window so she can get into her apartment. And we're all screaming the whole time. Don't do it. Each of those decisions, they seemed okay, but you just don't know there's tragedy in front of you. Not your fault necessarily, but certainly your decisions would be different if you knew. One of the difficulties for your life and my life is that we don't know. We don't know what's in front of us. I'm thankful for a God who does know. And what does that mean for our life as we begin to look at these pieces? This is our life laid out today, albeit our natural lives, right? Our decisions taken and examined. And and it seems like no matter what we do, we take a wrong step In Christianity, then, many people get very afraid even to take a step because you never know something might go wrong. And so the message of today is this. You will take a wrong step for the outcome that you want, that you will not get. And yet, underneath it, we get to see that in all the decisions that we make, oh, they all go a little wrong. We need a Savior. The message of Scripture is that you have one. That is such assurance to us in every decision that we make. But in order to really see the treasure and the wonder of that, you have to see that you always, always make wrong decisions. So I want to show you that today, the hopelessness of our best impulses. Even if you're culpable for your own actions, your own actions, without all the input that you could have or or, or would hope for, they're going to lead you astray a little bit somewhere. 
I think I can know. I think I can judge. And that's a false path. We're all a little bit judges. In fact, that's why we're calling this judged. Because here at the end of Judges, the reality is we're all judges in some sense. We're all people who think we're deciding what's right and wrong. We've all eaten from that tree. And so here we are today, this horrible, sordid story to help you and me see our body of sin and death. Who will save us? That's its redeeming quality this morning, is that there aren't any redeeming qualities. And it's important for you to take this in. So walk with me through the story. It's a fun story in some senses, but I'm just going to warn you up front. If you've got little ones this morning, there's a couple places where you might need to cover their ears. It's that strong of a story. But we don't shy away from the Bible. So here we go. First, we're going to set some contrasts. Set some contrasts. Because the, the, the decisions and the contrasts that we want to take, we want to, like we always do in a story, I try and figure out who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. And they start to get twisted in this story. So, curtain comes up. We're in chapter 19. If you want your own Bible to follow along, do that. But we'll put it on the screen as well, starting in verse 1 of chapter 19. Here we go. In those days... When there was no king in Israel, a certain Levite was sojourning in the remote parts of the hill country of Ephraim, who took to himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. Okay, this is setting you up for a bad story. How do I know that? Because it says in those days when there was no king. That's not a positive statement from the narrator. And then there's this Levite traveling by. I hope it's not the same Levite as we saw in the last story. Moses' grandson, he was not a very good guy. Well, at least he has a wife from Bethlehem. I know that spot. That's where Jesus was born. Uh, So I'm saying wife, and the the text treats her as such, but if you see your text in the ESV says concubine, because the word here, it says pilagesh. It sometimes refers to kind of a secondary wife and Again, the culture of the time had variations in social status. She didn't have a high social status. But the text goes on. And his concubine, it says, was unfaithful to him. And she went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah. And there was there for some four months. So this poor man, an unfaithful Wife, that's not good. You know, some later texts say, some Greek texts just translate this as she was angry at him. But the word there has a sexual overtone. Prostituted herself against him. And she went home. It's really unusual in this culture. It's not a good thing. But this Levite, you know, he's a good guy, it seems like. And and so in verse 3, it says that then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her, to bring her back. He had with him his servant and a couple of donkeys, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the girl's father saw him, he came with joy to meet him, and his father-in-law, the girl's father, made him stay. He remained there with him three days. So they ate and drank and spent the night there. Oh, this is a good story. It's going to turn out fine. Marital reconciliation. Restoration. They seem to be doing better. And the father-in-law, he really wants it to go well. There's lots of time together. 
They're hanging out. And on the fourth day, verse 5, they arose early in the morning, and he prepared to go. But the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Strengthen your heart with a morsel of bread. After that you may go. So the two of them sat and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Be pleased to spend the night. Let your heart be merry. When the man rose to go, his father-in-law pressed him. Still, he spent the night there again. Okay, at this point, dear reader, you're a little bit puzzled. Why is this even in the Bible? The man's spending time with his father-in-law. They're eating and drinking and being merry. They're enjoying life together. And the father-in-law is saying, stay. Just exuberant hospitality, really. It's actually quite lovely. Oh, I don't want to be apart from you. You're going to leave, and, and, and why don't you stay here and, and chow down with me again? So on the fifth day, he, this Levite, arose early in the morning to depart. And the girl's father said, strengthen your heart and wait until the day declines. Hey, why don't you rest just a little more and go in the afternoon? So they ate, both of them. And when the man and his concubine and his servant rose up to depart, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold, now the day has waned towards evening. Please spend the night. Behold, the day draws to its close. And lodge here and let your heart be merry. And tomorrow you shall arise early in the morning for your journey and go home. So this extensive hospitality, right? And time after time, the, the... The Levite has been convinced to decide to stay another day. And finally, and and I understand it, don't you? Finally, he's like, I was wanted to leave, and I wanted to leave, and you've had me stay, and I've stayed, and I've stayed. It's time for me to go home. I I, I need to go get to work. I need to go do my daily stuff, and, and I've waited, and I even waited the morning. We had such a good time, and we did, but another day is gone. I don't want to wait till morning. It's time to hit the road. That seems right, to hit the road. Sure seems right to me. He's been convinced several times to stay. Finally, reason kind of kicks in. and Even though evening is coming, and it's not the first thing in the morning. So there in verse 10, the man would not spend the night. So he rose up and departed and arrived opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. He had with him a couple of saddled donkeys and his concubine was with him. And and when they were near Jebu, the day was nearly over. It's because they left late, you know. And the servant said to his master, come now, let us turn aside to the city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. And the master said to him, we will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who do not belong to the people of Israel, but we will pass on to Gibeah. Okay, this is sort of the next contrast, right? The first contrast was here's this unfaithful concubine and sort of faithful, neat Levite running after her. And and and, and then there's the, the thinking of, hey, I should go. No, let's wait and stay in hospitality and decisions to be made there. And finally he goes. And now there's their passing by. Hey, let's stop at the at this city where the Gentiles are. It's like, no, 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 no. We need to stop where the good people are. The people of Gibeah. That's Benjaminites. And remember, Benjamin was the youngest son of, of uh, Jacob. Treasured son. Okay. Seems reasonable. Right? 
So verse 13, he said to his young man, Come, let us draw near to one of these places and spend the night at Gibeah or at Ramah. Depending on how far we get, it's getting dark, you know. So they passed on and they went their way and the sun went down on them near Gibeah, which belonged to Benjamin. And they turned aside there to go in and spend the night at Gibeah. And he went in and he sat down in the open square of the city for no one took them into his house to spend the night. Okay, well, they had this late start, and they only made it to Gibeah in the town square. It's open. It's exposed. Nobody's being very kind to bring him in. Oh, oh, wait, here's somebody. Here's somebody, verse 16. And behold, an old man was coming in from his work in the field at evening. The man was from the hill country of Ephraim. He was sojourning in Gibeah. The men of the place were Benjaminites. Oh, well, okay. The Benjamites were there. Maybe none of them have hospitality, but instead, in contrast, here's this old man. Well, God bless him. Old man comes in from the field. He sees these travelers there. He says, hey. Verse 17. Lifted up his eyes. Saw the travelers in the open square of the city. The old man said, where are you going? Where did you come from? And the Levites said to this old man, We're passing from Bethlehem in Judah to the remote parts of the hill country in Ephraim from where I come. I went to Bethlehem in Judah. I'm going to the house of Yahweh, but no one's taking me into his home. Then he says, hey, we have straw and feed for our donkeys with bread and wine for me and your female servant, the young man and your servants, and there's no lack of anything. We got lots of stuff. We're not looking to be uh, begging. We need a roof. So the old man said, peace to you. I will care for all your wants. Only do not spend the night in the square. How kind. How hospitable. Uh, The traveling Levite says he has lots of stuff. He just needs a roof. But how kind that this man will share his roof. Only don't spend the night in the square. Does he just have a kind heart or does he say that? I don't know. I've read the story now, and I've looked back, and I know something they don't know. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure the old man's being that kind. You'll have to decide. So verse 21, he brought him into his house. He gave the donkeys feed. They washed their feet. They ate and drank. All this story so far, if you're like me at all, you're a little bit like, so what? What's the big deal? That's because you're not really seeing. You know there's a serial killer in the apartment. And the narrators walked us down about the cab coming down. And the young woman getting out. And making all the decisions that will bring that person directly into harm's way. Because that's what's going on. And the Bible says, this is, look, look, here's a story from you from the Bible to say decisions are being made and contrast as you start to think who's good and, and who's bad in our story. An unfaithful concubine running away, a Levite distracted by fellowship, leaving late, avoiding Gentiles, an old man saying, don't stay in the square, not really telling them why. And, and, and so I, I, I've got this unfaithful concubine, a faithful Levite. I've got sort of a, carousing father-in-law and an earnest Levite. I've got bad Gentiles and good Israelites. I've got a cold square and hospitality. 
I think I know what the good is in all this stuff. I can slot it out. I can decide. Yet there's an eerie quality to all of it, like a story about to break. And here it is, the great evil ahead. There is evil. 22, as they were making their hearts merry, behold, the men of the city, worthless fellows, surrounded the house, beating on the door, clearly evil, worthless fellows, bad guys, men of the city. It seems more than just a few bad apples. Here there's this crowd that gathers and they're pounding on the door of this old man. And the man, the master of the house, he went out. Actually, I skipped. They said to the old man, the master of the house, verse 22, bring out the man who came into your house that we may know him. They're not asking for his name. We may know him. That means what you think it does. I've heard this story. I've heard, wait, I've heard this story. It's chapter 19 of Genesis, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. The people coming to Lot and saying, hey, hey, we want those travelers that you have that we may know them. Shame them and violate them. And oh, gross. So, so, whoa. Evil and horrible and wrong. And here they're not angels or people. And, and the man, the master of the house, verse 23, went out to these worthless people or want this evil thing. He went out and he said to them, No, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Since this man has come into my house, do not do this vile thing. Oh, that's the good man we know. Starting to be a bit uncertain why he even had them stay the night, though, because it seems like he knew that staying in the open square would be very dangerous for them. But here he's had them come into his home, and he didn't warn them out of town. At least he's standing up for them, right? Right? At least. Wait. Maybe not. Behold, verse 24. Here are my virgin daughter and his concubine. Let me bring them out. Now, violate them and do with them what seems good to you. But against this man, do not do this outrageous thing. What? Here's my daughter and here's his wife. Come violate them? He's as evil as they are. What in the world? I get that it's a shame and honor culture. I get there's more shame in the first and second. Here's a man saying, here, go ahead. Go ahead and violate my daughter. Go ahead and violate his wife. No. 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 Of course, the men say no as well. The men would not listen to them. I guess they really want all of them. So, verse 25, still, the man seized his concubine, the Levite, seized his concubine and made her go out to them. Don't miss this. Unfaithful concubine, faithful, kind Levite. What is he doing? Now he's afraid for his life. So what is he doing? He's pushing his concubine outside. 
He grabs his wife. He shoves her outside. I thought he was the good guy. And guess it was until it was him or her. It's not funny. It's serious. It's evil. This is evil. Because it says, and they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And as the dawn began to break, they let her go. And as the morning appeared, the woman came and fell down at the door of the man's house where her master was until it was light. I'm not going to describe this more than the Bible does. I'm going to leave it there. But this is horrible things being done. And, and as it's presented, she's alive. They do let her go. She stumbles home. She's lying down there. And it says in her master, sir, husband, right? Rose up in the morning, and when he opened the doors of the house, he went out to go on his way. Behold, there was his concubine lying at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. What would you do? He said to her, get up, let's be going. <laughs> let's get out of here. How about, oh, are you okay? How about, oh, no, this is so terrible. No, no, let's, let's go. There's no answer. He put her on the donkey. The man rose up and went away to his house. It's, it's not a statement here that she died. He wanted her to get up and she couldn't. He, she was that weak. So he put her on the donkey and he went away. And I, I want to stop there for a minute because this is real evil and it exists. And it's in the world and we see it. It's unrestrained evil. There's no question about the horror of the wrongness. And maybe wrongness has touched you. Don't let the idea of grace and forgiveness and mercy kind of take away from the reality that evil exists and it hits people. And it's terrible. There's no question about the horror or the wrongness. Our heart should break for this wife, the human beings that are abused and violated and attacked, and how could people be this way? And, and, and secondly, secondly, though, you've got to see everything's all tangled up. We started the story with this kind Levite pursuing a, a, an, a, an unfaithful concubine. And, and now we have the Levite saving his skin by pushing his wife out the door. And this old man standing up for his guests or here, here, take my daughter and his woman too. Everyone sees evil, you know. Everyone calls out evil. But the choices we make and the reasoning we have, I'm telling you, it's tainted. It's tainted for everyone. I'm not saying it's all the same. It's just that there's a thread of wrongness in everybody here. Even the decisions that were made, right? The decision to leave the husband that led here. The decision to stay longer at the father-in-law's house. The decision to leave late. The decision to avoid the Gentiles. None of those decisions, they seemed reasonable at the time, but they got him right at the place where this crazy, horrible thing happened. Ouch. You know what's left? I want justice. That's really what I want. I want to get justice.
Let me back up for a minute. I, I just, if, if you didn't see this, I just, because when the, he entered his house, it says, this Levite, he took a knife and taking hold of his concubine, who's it's unclear if she's alive or dead, it's not told to us. He divided her limb by limb into 12 pieces. And he sent her throughout the territory of Israel. And, 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 and I'm, I, you got to realize what he's thinking. He's thinking, this is horrible. I'm stirring the pot. Why did this happen to me? I'm going to get justice. Look at what they've done, these people. Right? All who saw it, it says there in Judges 19.30, all who saw it said such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day the people of Israel came up out of the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. It became a popular and widely talked about thing, and it's seen easily. Here's this evil in front of us. What are we going to do? So this Levite, cutting up his wife into pieces, he's sending her out to all the tribes. I, I, I think that's wrong. I don't think that's a reasonable thing to do. Do you? Dare I say he's been driven to evil? Did, did he mutilate the body? Was it worth it to get justice? He's proclaiming it's evil. Make it known. Well, what's justice? Kill those men who did it. Well, what about him? Walk with me through the rest of this particular piece. In chapter 20, all the people of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled as one man to Yahweh at Mizpah. And the chiefs of all the people and all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 men on foot that drew the sword. Now the people of Benjamin heard that the people of Israel had gone up to Mizpah, and the people of Israel said, tell us, how did this evil happen? What an easy cause to inflame, right? I, I, I got the shoulder. Well, we got the leg. What happened here? And the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, answered, and he said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. And the leaders of Gibeah rose up against me and surrounded the house against me by night, and they meant to kill me, and they violated my concubine, and she is dead. Who killed her? Unclear. Don't care. So I took hold of my concubine, I cut her in pieces, and I sent her throughout all the country of the inheritance of Israel, for they have committed an abomination and outrage in Israel. Behold, you people of Israel, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. There should be justice. Overlook the fact she was an adulterer, and you know what the penalty for adultery is? It's death. Leviticus chapter 20. Overlook the fact that the husband, the Levite, pushed her out the door. Overlook the fact that her husband cut her in pieces. Look at what they did to her. So, so, so do you take that all into account, your reason? No. Get inflamed by the greatest evil you can find and overlook the rest. It's just like me, I do this. That's so bad. Don't look at the fingers pointing back at yourself. 
So all the people of Israel rose as one man, saying, None of us will go to his tent. None of us will return to his house. And, 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 but now, what we will do, we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot, and we will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to bring provisions for the people, that when they come, they may repay Gibeah of Benjamin for all the outrage they've committed in Israel. This is the last straw. We're going to kill them all. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one man. You know, nothing brings people together like a common enemy. And this is a real evil. There's no nuance needed, no hearing of more stories, not simple cause. And so the tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, what evil is this that has taken place among you? Now, therefore, give up the men, those worthless fellows in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge evil from Israel. This is a great evil, so give up those guys. Worthless men, that seems reasonable. But the Benjamites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Stated very simply and without any reason. Nope. But can't you start thinking up some other sides to the story? Don't you see how the Levite acted? Don't you see what might have been happening other places? Do you want to even hear what they have to say, why they don't want to do that? I don't. That's horrific evil, and they did it. So then the people of Israel, it says, the people of Benjamin, they came together out of the cities to Gibeah to go out to battle against the people of Israel. And the people of Benjamin mustered out their cities on that day, 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who mustered 700 chosen men. Okay, now we're getting bigger than the incident. We're getting into national politics. We're getting into civil war. Who's in your family? Who do you support? And they want to ramrod these men. And there's ambiguity here. Oh, they violated her. But she wasn't dead. The Levite killed her. And now you're going to kill this whole town? This isn't right. Don't do it. Just because they're Benjamites, you don't like us. We're getting a shaft, man. So the armies come together. And, and, and the Avengers, man, the cool. Remember all the judges? Remember all the stories of the judges we've had? Who, who are the underdog every time? The people of Israel, little tiny, remember? I remember Gideon, your army's too big. Not here. Now we've got 400,000 Israelites and little Benjamin, and all of a sudden the Avengers show up. What do you mean? Did you read it? <laughs> it's verse 16. Among all these Benjaminites were 700 chosen men who were left-handed. Kind of like them already. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. Whoa. <laughs> and the men of Israel, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men who drew the sword. And all these men were men of war. So over here you got 26,000. Over here, 400,000. But these guys have the 700 men who can't miss. But, 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 but evil, it has to be stamped out. As people do the work 
of judging. Do you understand? That's the story. We're going to finish this story next week, but I want to stop there and I want to just you think with me. Don't give up thinking about this, what's going on and why it's important. Everything is tangled. Everything is twisted. There's real evil going on. And it's in all of them. Right? Which is which? Well, it's just who decides. Well, there's a democracy in the group and whatever the group decides. And the Bible says, well, eventually that sort of thinking, the group think, ends up here. It ends up in a he said, she said, and, and it ends up in evil over here for sure, but also evil over here, and we're not talking about it. And it's messy personally too, right? You want to make the right decisions. You want to make sure every step is planned rightly and done correctly, but you still can't avoid tragedy. I think my husband doesn't love me. I found love with another man. You don't see the train wreck that's coming. I think we should avoid that bad section of town. And and you head right into trouble. You don't see the train wreck that's coming. When it comes down to me and my wife, I'm pushing her out the door. And I'm going to cover it up. I want personal justice. I don't care if 26,000 people die. I want justice for mine. Here's the message of the Bible for you and me as you think about these things this morning. And I want to end with this. It's it's that as we judge, the answer is always for you and for me that we are judged. That's the answer. You got to take this in. You got to feel this. This has got to be something you understand from the Bible and you won't get it anywhere else because everywhere else is saying there's a standard and you judge things by it and you come out okay sometimes, you and me. But the Bible says this, right? We read it this morning when we read in Romans chapter 2, right? It says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. And he goes on there to say some stuff, and we read it earlier, right? That, that it seems, uh, seems like, yeah, that, that that could turn out okay for you. Because it says, God will give blessing and life to those who seek good, and God will curse and hurt and judge those who do evil. And so you think, well, anybody who does good is going to be okay. And, and, and we have these thinkings in our hearts. We know the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice evil. And my heart starts to warm for all the enemies I know. And I forget. I think this is a good statement. I think this is a good statement in chapter 2, that God will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek glory and honor and immortality he's going to give eternal life and to those who seek uh, uh, well to those who are self-seeking and don't obey the truth obey unrighteousness there'll be wrath and fury where do you put yourself i'll tell you what especially as a christian i put myself in the i'm seeking god's glory camp but the argument of romans is precisely not that the argument from today in the text and judges is not that the argument is is that you do not 
do good. If the judgment of God is going to fall, it will fall on you. It will fall on me. There is great evil that you don't touch. There's great evil that happens to you. But your decisions and your actions, they're not blameless. Where does that leave you? It leaves you in Romans 3, right? Right after Romans 2. Are we any better off, Jews? No, for we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, listen, let this hit you again. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Worthless fellows. No one does good. No, not even one. And now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This is our story today. This is what you can't miss at home. This is what I plead with you that you might see in yourself that your heart might break. That though you see tragedy and you rightly call it wrong and evil, and we ought to and we do, that at the very same breath, you realize you can't judge because you are the man. Because the word of judgment you speak rebounds on your own heart because we must have a Savior. Oh God, who will save me from this body of sin and death? That's the cry of judges. That's your cry and my cry when we come to the end of of ourselves, when we come to saying, yeah, there's worse evil out there, but I'm evil too. I can't call it because I'm not worthy. And then the Lord has provided for you and me one who is worthy. Thanks be to God, Romans 7 says, in Jesus Christ our Lord. There is a Savior. There's a Savior for you today. And it's not about you finding your justice here. It's not about you establishing your rightness like you're going to shine in your glory and wonder. No, it's about you coming to the one who is glory and wonder, the one who gives you his righteousness, the one who saves you from your sin, and he saves us. Hey, Jesus today is for you. And forgiveness and cleanliness is in his name. All you have to do is humble your heart. Cry out, mercy, Jesus. Would you, who have done that, let your heart again be rejoicing today that it is finished for you. And let you not be trapped into the trap of self-righteousness and self-justice in this world. And instead put your heart on Jesus. Let's pray.